an eye-opening experience this week. And it has to do with my eyes. I took my glasses back, the ones I told you about with the progressive lenses. I really wasn't doing well with them. And uh, the experience was very unique, and God's presence was there. Not only was God's presence there, but he sent an angel to keep me in line. What I mean is this. I went in, and I tried to explain to the young lady at the desk why I couldn't wear those glasses. Now, she was not argumentative in any form or fashion, but you could see that she was frustrated with it. She didn't want to exchange the glasses. Apparently, they deal with that quite often. But you could see the tension on her face as I sat and talked with her. And I tried to explain to her why I couldn't wear them. And I told her, I said, you know, I have very limited knowledge on glasses because that was the first pair other than readers that I've ever put on. And I said, this is what I see when I put them on. When I look at a page, a book, or a computer screen, is I see about that much of a section that's clear, and everything around that is like a fishbowl. I said, I can't read a book, can't read a page, can't read a computer. I said, what I want to do is make those glasses like these glasses on the bottom. I said, when I look out of the top of those, everything is great. I look out of the bottom. I want it to look like this. I want my field of view broadened so that I can see everything. And you can see that, that she was continuing to get aggravated, but I have to give her praise that she maintained her composure while dealing with me. But I was starting to get aggravated too. And that's when God sent me an angel or someone to keep me in line. Because while I'm sitting there, I, I heard a voice right next to me that was very, very familiar. And I thought to myself that we as Christians are to set an example to everyone else in all manners of life, even in how we deal with others that may do things that aggravate us. And at that point, after I told her I can't read a computer screen, I said, if you don't believe me, I pointed to Willene and uh, Uncle Harold standing right beside me and said, ask her because she can tell you it's the truth. So it was kind of an eye-opening experience. See, God wants to bless us. But so many of our blessings depend on how we respond to life and people around us. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today. Today's passage of Scripture will be coming from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign God, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say that I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down to destroy and overthrow, and to build and to plant. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, we come before you during this part of the service and just ask that you be with me. Give me words of hope and inspiration. Into me, Father God, of anything that I desire to speak. Remove from me my will. Fill me with your spirit. 
that all words will be pleasing to you for the edification of your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you're, a lot of you are familiar with Jeremiah. He's one of the Old Testament prophets. He's considered one of the major prophets. And I always admired him when I was growing up. And I always admired all the prophets when I was growing up until I came to understand the life that they led. Because in my mind, growing up watching G.I. Joe and, and Rambo and all the warriors on TV, I looked to the prophets and how bold they were in their statements and in their declarations to society. And thought, man, I want to be just like that. I want to be strong enough to where I can stand before any person or group of person and say whatever it is that's on my mind. And then I began to read about Jeremiah. I connected with him early on in life, and I wanted to know more about him. He was called to serve God at a young age. Some believe to be the age of 17. And I think about the statements that he made when he was first called, where he says to God, you know what? I, I can't do this. I can't speak. I'm too young. And then I realized how many times in our lives we may have said the same thing? Maybe not so much, I'm scared to speak or I don't have the, the words to say, but, but God calls us to do something specific. Now, Jeremiah here is, is using the excuse of lack of knowledge and his inability to speak as an excuse not to answer God's call. But sometimes I think that, that we might look into our current circumstances or look into the future and compare, which is what wise people do, circumstances to, to other circumstances that have passed to learn from those measures. And then look at what God calls us to do. And says statistically, it can't happen. But when God calls us to something, He already knows the path. He already knows the reason. He already knows everything that we're going to encounter. And there is no reason whatsoever for anyone not to accept the challenge that God puts before them. No circumstance can ever interfere with God's plans. God is always greater than everything that we know and everything that's before us. He knows what he's doing. And when he calls us, there is no reason to look around and say, alas, I cannot do this. We can do anything that God empowers us to do. And I think I get hung up on the, the speech part because that was talked about so many times in just this one passage of Scripture where Jeremiah says, I can't speak, and then God says, don't worry about it. You're going to do what I command you, which is for him is to speak. And then God reaches down and touches his mouth, and he says this, that, that I put my words in your mouth. And those words from God sometimes are so powerful that they cut to the core of the soul. Some churches we call that conviction. It's God's way of, of touching our hearts and minds to, to help us to understand it, that there's something I want you to learn. There's something that I want you to outgrow. 
something new I want you to experience. They call it conviction because its purpose is to convince us to understand, to accept, or to do something so that we will move forward with the actions that God calls us to perform. But how we perform those acts are just as important, if not more so. And here's what I mean. The key to accomplishing any mission in life is communication. If, if somebody doesn't understand the instruction, they, they have to be informed on what that instruction means. Or if they feel belittled by the way that they are instructed to do something, they're not going to be motivated to do so. See, Ephesians, Paul tells us to, to be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. And I think that that can sometimes be hard to do, especially if you're dealing with me. Because I need all the patience in the world from people. I need understanding in order to accomplish the things that I need to accomplish in life. You know, last week we touched on just a, a little bit about, about groups in churches and, and organizations and, and even out in the world where, where people of like mind get together to perform certain tasks. They're comfortable in those groups because, well, they, they, can, they can communicate easily there. They can understand each other's train of thought. They have the same passion. But when you have a group here and a group here and a group here, what we have to remember is what we touched on last, last week is that those groups are not separate from one another. That they all exist for a purpose and a reason. And if we take one of those groups out of the equation, then the whole community is lacking. But when we come to understand it, that it's okay to have those certain groups, some people call them cliques. I want to get away from the word cliques, and I want to call them families. It is a family that is gathered here, and a family that is gathered here, and a family that is gathered here, all doing something different. And it's fairly understandable to think that, that they can understand and communicate well with one another. But what happens is this group has to communicate with this group in a way that they understand. Now, I talk harsh sometimes. I try not to. I'm not going to change who I am at the core, nor do I expect anyone else to do so. But I think God has an expectation from all of us that, that when we communicate with one another, that we communicate responsibly. So someone from, from group A may have to come to, to group B, but see, this person at group A that has the message has to understand who it is that they're talking to and how they receive information. If I came to your house as a police officer, actually I did come to somebody's house as a police officer one time, and this is what happened. Their 13-year-old daughter was inside the house self-harming herself. And the mother called, and myself and another officer went to the door, and we took our flashlights, our big, long mag flashlights, just like what they taught us in the academy, and we beat on the door, and we're not beating on the door to be rude. We're beating on the door with a flashlight so that we know someone inside heard us and would come to the door. 
and we stood there in our police stance ready to take charge of everything in sight because we have all the answers and we know how to fix all the problems that you created in your life over the past 15 years we're going to fix in three minutes or at least that's what we tell people so we beat on the door with those flashlights and we're standing there in our authoritative stance and, and the mom comes to the door. Apparently it's not the first time that she's dealt with the police in this manner because she opened the door and instead of saying, come in and help my daughter, she opened the door and said, don't beat on my door like that. You, answer, you beat on my door like you're supposed to. Then shut the door in our face. So we looked at one another. My partner shrugged his shoulders. I left and I rang the doorbell. She came back. She opened the door and said, how may I help you? So we're here to help your daughter. And then she explained the history behind what was going on with her daughter. It was about understanding the mission. The mission wasn't to appease mom at the door. The mission was to get to the daughter so we could get her the help that she needed. But in order to do that, we had to change the way that we communicated to that mother about how we got there and why we were there. Sure, we could have used brute force and, and shoved the mother out of the way and entered the house and, and searched for the daughter. But what good would that have done? It would have made matters much worse. Aggravated and an already aggravated situation it would have created, I promise you, much more paperwork for me and my sergeant and my lieutenant. And it would have made it much more difficult for the daughter. But you see, when we come to understand certain things about prophets and their role, then we understand more about how to carry out the will of God and the things that he's called us to. Jeremiah did not like his call, to be honest with you. He complained about it quite often. He wanted a wife. God said, no, you can't have one because my call is more important than your own desire at this moment. He said, I'm too young. I don't want to do it. Then God tore down every reason why he shouldn't. And then he came to understand this. He said that, that when the will of God and the words that he has given is inside of us and they want to come out, they burn like a passion and they burn like a fire and, and you can't hold it in. You have to let it out. And I think he did ultimately a good job of letting it out. You see, I don't think he took the job personal when he had to go and, and speak to other people. He didn't care about his pride being hurt. He didn't care what other people thought about him and in the way that he delivered the message. I know that because he did this one time. He, he, he took a, a, what would you call a, a stock, a yoke, that's the word for it, a yoke. This big wooden 
device that they put on cattle or oxen to go around their neck to help stir them. And he put one on himself, and he went before the people, even those that he knew were going to uh, humiliate them. And he used that yoke as a message. And what he was saying was this, because he'd already been prophesying to the people that the Babylonian army is coming if we don't repent of our sins, and if we don't change our ways. And the Babylonians are going to take us into captive. But the people didn't want to believe him. But he communicated well his statement. Now there's an opposing statement because Ananias, one of the false prophets at the time, and when we say false prophets, what we mean is this, someone who doesn't tell the people the truth, but, but tells people what they want to hear to appease them. See, Jeremiah was telling the truth. As painful as it was, he was telling the truth. And Hananias came over and broke the yoke and then made the declaration that, hey, you know what? In two years from now, we're going to be free from all this. Life is going to be good. Lied to the people to make them feel comfortable about their situation. Even when everything around them pointed in the opposite direction. So I think ultimately, Jeremiah handled his call very well. And what we learn from that is this, that as Christians and as leaders, It's about communicating a message that the people can receive and understand. That it's not about our pride and our position, but it's about God's glory and the edification of his church and the fulfillment of his plan and his life. This I know. No stance a person can take with self-avowed authority is ever more powerful than words. Words of truth. You see, I can stand here today and, and declare to you in an authoritative stance how something is going to be and how something is going to happen. But you know what? Unless there's truth in my word, nothing is going to happen. But when we speak truth, because of the authority that that word has, we can do it civilly. I can say, Willine, tomorrow is Monday. Whether you believe it or not, it's Monday. I don't have to yell it at you. I don't have to belittle you over your thought. You know why? Because the truth is, tomorrow's Monday. That word has authority. And when we communicate with people, that's what we want to share is the truth that God died for their sins 
rose from the grave, ascended to the Father, and that the Holy Spirit came to live within our hearts to empower us to do God's will. Because God has a good plan for us. And he wants us to succeed in everything that we do. But so much of our success depends on our behavior. Proverbs 15 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Is that not true? I have learned with Isabel to speak softly. I want to tell you that I'm perfect with her, but I'm not. Sometimes she gets up on that right nerve. And sometimes she, she stands right on top of that correct nerve and does a tap dance on it and then a, a ballerina spin. But if I raise my voice at her, she becomes frightful and loses trust in me as a parent. But I've learned that if I contain her and speak to her softly, it calms the anxiety within her and it helps me to redirect her to another path. John told me this week when we were talking about going out to lunch. He said if you would stop preaching so long that maybe we can get to the store, basically is what he said. So we're going to be a little short today. God called you, each and every one, to a specific purpose in your life because he trusts you with his treasures. And just like he trusts us, he wants us to learn to trust one another and be able to communicate truths in a godly manner. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for the time that you've given us to come together. And Father, just ask that you be with us all as we leave this building today. Help us to go out inspired that, that we know that, that you have a plan for us and that we're on that path that leads us to the victory that we are seeking for. Help us, Father God, to, to see clearly your plan and empower us to perform those tasks and send your spirit to whisper softly in our ear when it's time to share that message and that love with others that we can do so in a manner that is productive and uplifting in Christ's name we pray amen As Christ burst forth from the tomb, let us burst forth into our communities with love and passion.
to perform your will. In Christ's name, amen.